uh, Skeptics and Seekers. I'm uh, Dale, representing the uh, Seeker or Christian side. And I'm David the Skeptic. Excellent. And today our show is going to be something that's uh, important for me personally because I've, I've been having uh, a lot of issues, let's say, on um, communicating um, as a Christian with unbelievers and in an effective way or, or in a way that represents Christ properly and um, I, personally I, I think it's getting to a point where it's it's becoming a bit of a problem for me and I, I want to correct this so you know I'm, I'm not so much interested in arguing for a specific point today I, I'm genuinely interested in in the advice that David will give me or, or if you guys give comments whether you know, pro or con, I, I'll be interested. I will read your comments, um, and I'm I'm not going to respond um, in kind. I'm just going to read them and and take it to heart and reflect on them. And so, so yeah. Anyways, um, with communication, you know, it's it's been said that the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Uh, quite obviously, many things uh, can come up that interfere with. Um, effectively communicating a message to other people and, and miscommunication or misunderstanding happens quite quite often so yeah I, th I think um, Jesus can provide a good example of how to communicate uh, or you know the, the Bible in general obviously is inspired literature if you're a Christian uh, you'll want to take various principles or um, strategies on how to communicate effectively from that uh, and then obviously apply it within a modern context if you can. And uh, as I said, I, I'm not good at, at doing this yet. Um, but yeah, one, one of the points that I, I wanted to mention here is, so there are certain guidelines that are non-negotiables when we're communicating um, with, with a skeptic. And, and this is that our comments always have to be edifying and, and loving. We have to in terms of our inner motivation for doing it, we should never be responding out of hatred for the other person. We should never be, um, you know, making the mistake that I've been doing lately of getting into a, a defensive shell. Like, okay, where's the next arrow coming from? Like, I, I was literally getting exhausted. Like, oh, you know, here's the next comment that people are just attacking me, then I have to respond to, and and all this. It it should never be that. Um, you know, I. In the first place, we just had Canadian Thanksgiving. I, I should be grateful that people are interacting with me and giving their honest take, whether they're morally outraged or not. And um, you know, I should appreciate getting that feedback and and um, you know try to respond through this edifying and loving way. Now, here here's the the first part stylistically that I think is going to be controversial, and and I think that we can respond to. Um, people on an individual level we, we shouldn't just one size fits all type deal we you know some with some people it's it's more productive to have you know like a the typical conversation that we imagine jesus having you know very meek and mild and and you know overflowing with with caring and love um but there are times when jesus is not so nice you know he calls people a brood of snakes and vipers or he call he calls them out as hypocrites and and that sort of thing and I, I don't think this is an error on Jesus' part. I think there are circumstances uh, based on, you know, based on the con the cultural context as well as the context of the specific individual and or the 
audience listening, if there are others listening, that can warrant the use of slightly more offensive language. But again, out of done out of a sincere caring um, for for that person, right? So that's I'm I'm trying to deliberately keep it vague. Cause I know David's going to come up with a whole bunch of specific examples um, for us to deal with, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll let you bring that up then. It, what I'm thinking of here. So, so yeah, this this is my. This is it. This is the the core of my argument. As it is, is that I think that we can respond out of um, love and a concern for edifying the person listening and or um, you know others in the audience um, and. So long as we react on an individual level and we're we're sincerely trying to convey the truth in a good way um, to them, so that that's my main argument. But like I said, I'm I'm not totally firm on this. I want to see, you know, how I come across to skeptics. So I'll, I'll turn it over to David to give his take. Okay, so let me let me just say I I believe that Dale is being sincere. I believe that this is, is very sincerely motivated. And I'm going to call on the listeners and the commenters to respond in kind and um, and be nice to Dale as, as you give your answers. Now, I don't plan to be nice to Dale. I plan to beat him senseless. But then again, I find that very entertaining and satisfying. Also, I'm a bad man. Um, so <laughs> these <laughs> this this should not come as a surprise to anyone. But uh, but I do call on the listeners. To rise above that, <laughs> and uh... well, try, try to—I can understand if I say something, you know, I, me and David before the show. I'm—I'm I'm much more like Andrew. I'm much more logical, or like I—you know—I'm shocked when people are expressing moral outrage. Like, uh, you know, okay, I, I brought up—we're not going to get into this, but I brought up homosexuality as a sin last week. Uh, like, really, that this. Uh, this outrages you and I, I can't understand that and David was David tries to like explain the difference and that sort of thing but but yeah so um, you're you're allowed I have to admit you're allowed to express morally outrageous outrage if I say something that to you is morally outrageous but I would just ask try, try to be understanding and, and critical or constructive in your feedback don't just lash out because all that does to me is Okay, I, I'm ignoring you. You have nothing intelligent to say or, or relevant to say. That that's how it comes across on my end. But so yeah, go ahead, David. Okay, so I I've I've got a page of notes, uh, and for the uh, listeners out there, when I have a page of notes, I generally share my notes with Dale because I am not trying to blindside him. I'm trying to give him the best chance to make the best argument possible. So some people think that I'm just trying to beat up on uh, an inferior in debate and that's not that's not true I'm I spend a lot of time talking to Dale uh, before the show to let him know what I plan to say how I plan to say it, and I give him uh, as much opportunity as possible because this it really isn't about uh, trying to trying to blindside and beat up on someone and win a debate it's trying to get the you know make the best points possible and get the best answers and responses possible for your side so um, you know, I just let you in on that bit of inside baseball. 
Uh, I think that the first problem, uh, Dale, that you face is that as a Christian, you are trying to present a message that is fundamentally intolerable. So you are, I, I think the, one of the mistakes you're making is trying to separate the content from, uh, from the way you deliver it. The, the, Stylistic. And, right. And the delivery doesn't matter. So um, I, I just have to say, this is, this is um, one of those areas where it doesn't matter how you deliver the content. The content is so egregious. If people understand what you're saying, they're going to be offended. And this isn't just uh, me, excuse me, saying this. Uh, this is, you know, the, the message itself, when delivered properly, is a kind of offensive message. In fact, do you have the notes that I uh, sent you uh, pulled up where you can get to them? Yeah. Yeah. Would you mind doing uh, a reading for me so that I don't have to do it? Um the the part where it says intentionally unclear so that's this is actually my second point i'm kind of skipping my first point um okay and if you would just read all of that down to um you see where the where i jump to a new passage but the man uh who isn't christian can't don't read that read down okay. to that um so just the verse or Okay, so, no, 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 the, no, don't read. Oh, Jesus, yeah, read. Jesus, uh, spoke, yes, Jesus, Jesus spoke in parables to purposefully uh, obfuscate the message. Okay, so here's, here's, here's the thing that I'm setting up, and I'm going to let Dale read this. But I pull this from uh, uh, a, 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 the Internet, a person with a, I believe they have a master's degree. So there's someone who, you know, you can't say, oh, well, they're an idiot. Um, you know, they're, they're a Christian and somebody respects them uh so this is this is what uh just just a quick interruption uh, if uh for the listeners or whatever you might want to post this link so they can actually read the link will be in the notes okay. so yeah they, they will have uh, access to this link and i encourage uh people to read the entire article and you feel free to comment on that too but i th this just supports one of my main points for this show, which is that the message is supposed to be offensive. And so if it comes all across offensive, that doesn't actually indicate that you're doing something wrong. Uh, but I want to establish that first. So if you would, if you would read uh, that for me, Dale, because I don't like reading stuff. Okay. Um, so this is from Mark chapter four, verses 10 to 13. And it says, and when he was alone, uh, referring to Jesus, um, they were about him with the and with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, uh, all these things are done in parables, uh, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them. Know ye not this parable, this parable? And how then will you know all parables? And then... Yeah, go ahead and so read the, the next, Go ahead and keep reading. Yep. So then the next verse, this is from Matthew chapter 13. Actually, don't, um, don't skip that. Don't skip the commentary. Read his commentary as well. Okay. So, yep. So this passage tells us that Jesus didn't want them to understand and he didn't want to convert them. 
uh, so he didn't want to save them. Why would Jesus do that? Jesus gives the answer himself. Uh, this, so this is Matthew 13, chap, uh, chapter 13, verses 10 to 11. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why do you speak unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But unto them it is not given. Um, you just so read that next little bit. Yeah. Here's the commentary. I was I was about to. I learned right. the first time. Um, <laughs> I do learn my lessons eventually. But uh, so this is the commentary. So, but unto them it is not given. Jesus spoke in parables. The majority of the people could not understand. So, uh, so I I put this in here um, just so that, because this actually. Uh, corresponds with uh, my own thinking as a Christian, so I didn't write this. Uh, but this is this is not uncommon Christian thought, and uh, it's probably more common among Calvinists. So uh, you, you might recognize it as Calvinist thought, but it's you don't have to be a Calvinist to think this way. Um, Jesus uh, is pretty clear on two or three occasions uh, that he spoke in parables because not everyone was supposed to understand. He, he didn't want people to understand. And one of the, one of the fallacies I um, used to hear when I was a young Christian was that Jesus used parables so that it would be easy for people to understand. <laughs> and that is exactly the opposite. He did not use parables so that it would be easy to understand. He wasn't trying to make things clear. Uh, and so one could argue that the early gospel writers uh, thought that Jesus' teaching was more along the lines of mystery religion because that's kind of how they presented it. Uh, but one thing for certain is that it, it wasn't to be universally understood. And why isn't it universally understood is a is a question that I'll take up with the next reading which is 1 Corinthians 2:14. Now I invite you to go to Bible Gateway on this one. Bible Gateway is a is a a great website. Uh, you can find it <laughs> biblegateway.com. You can look up any passage and you can look up all the translations of that passage. Uh, there are lots of translations. And this is a passage that you can have a, a little bit of fun with because there are lots of different readings. At the end of the day, they mostly say the same thing. Uh, the early translations use the term, but the natural man uh, is, is, uses the term the natural man as opposed to the spiritual man. Others use different terms. I'm going to read a couple of, of these translations just so that you get the flavor uh, and kind of understand my overall point here. But the man who isn't a Christian can't understand and can't accept these things from God, which the Holy Spirit teaches us. They sound foolish to him because only those who have the Holy Spirit within them can understand what the Holy Spirit means. Others just can't take it in. This is a very telling passage. Uh, because essentially you've got to have the Spirit to understand the Spirit. Um, another reading of this uh, sounds kind of similar, a little bit different. Someone living, in, uh, someone living at the merely human level 
doesn't accept the things of God's spirit. They are foolishness to such people, you see, and they can't understand them because they need to be discerned spiritually. So once again, this is, this is kind of making a distinction between the, the natural man and the spiritual man, someone who merely tries to understand Jesus with their humanity. Paul says they can't do it. It, it can't be done. In fact, Paul says not only can it not be done, these things sound foolish to people who are merely human. So if, you're, if your teaching sounds uh, incomprehensible to some people, well, according to Jesus, it should sound incomprehensible. If it sounds objectionable, it should sound objectionable. If it sounds foolish, it should sound foolish. And why? Because you're talking to people who are hearing it in a merely human way. They're not engaging the spirit to understand the spirit. Now, I would put this in the category of B, S, C. Can you say it with me? This is bat shift crazy. Um, so, uh, but th- but this is this is straight biblical theology, <laughs> and so uh, my first point for Dale is he is not, in fact, making a mistake if people are pushing back against him, and I would I would challenge Dale to define what it is he wants out of these interactions because the real desire you should have is the reaction that you're getting. And so uh, before I make my next point, let me just ask, what reaction did you expect? Um, okay, so so yeah, um, I think this is a good point. And I think you were right. When I read this in your response, I, I, I kind of was totally separating. Like my, my blog wasn't about the content um, at all. It was more stylistically. How can I better cushion the truths of the gospel so that it's more acceptable or something like that? And, you know, in terms of, but at the end of the day, you're right. No matter what I do, the gospel, the Bible itself tells us that the gospel truths are going to be offensive to people no matter what I do. So I should be aware that no matter what I do, um, how whatever efforts I might take to respond edifyingly or lovingly to an, a person as an individual, um, there are going to be, I'm going to come across as offensive at the end of the day, no matter what I say. So I think you're absolutely right there. And I should be aware that there is that connection. It, it can't be totally separated, the stylistic versus content uh, aspect to effectively communicating. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to compromise on what I believe is true. So yeah, I should always expect uh, some people to be offended, and I have to accept that. Not some people, um, most people. Okay, you should accept most people. Most fair. people. fair enough. Uh, very good. But um, here's here's what I expect. Here, here's what I'm hoping for. Um, here's why I care about the stylistic elements. Because a part of me thinks that if I could be better, at least on that aspect. And I'll have people, you know, there have been people like, I'm not going to mention names, okay, there have been people that have responded to me disagreeing with what I'm saying. There's, there's, they think I'm immoral on, on a given topic or something, but it seems like they've taken efforts to 
understand and think outside of their bubble to understand where I'm coming from and then explain, okay, but I, I still think this is wrong. Um, this is, this is what I'm hoping for at, at a, you know, this is what I'm hoping for that by better improving my effective communication, maybe I'll get more skeptics, not just re reacting. Oh, this is outrageous. You, you're, you're defending slavery. You're defending genocide and all this stuff. That, like that's not helpful. That just. Why do you want people to understand you, Dale? I mean, I, I understand. I know why I want people to understand me, but I don't have a spiritual motivation. So I, I am, I'm wondering how your motivation aligns with any type of spiritual goal. Right. So you say, like, obviously, I, I want people to be con converted or to. You think that you I'm convert saying, people? No, I, I agree with these verses that the Holy Spirit um, plays this role. But I, I'm. I'm being used as an instrument, right? That, yes, that but you, as you are being used as an instrument, whatever you are, John the Baptist was a pretty uh, nutso kind of guy. Uh, so you're not you're not trying to be like John the Baptist, but John the Baptist had his converts. Um, it doesn't. Yeah. What I'm saying is, it doesn't matter what you are. <laughs> look at look at some of the look at Benny Hinn and Oral Roberts and some of the. Uh, craziest of the crazies they think they're winning souls for christ they've got a pretty big following uh so I, I think that you are worrying too much about your presentation of a gospel that you do not teach and you do not it, it is not your words that convict people if you really think that it's the holy spirit that does it you're just a you're just a mouthpiece and you shouldn't worry about the effectiveness of your words or whether people understand you or like you. Jesus spoke so that people wouldn't understand him. So if some people don't understand you, you should feel right at home. Why do you want to be understood? Um, well, I, I think that, yeah, in terms of this interpretation of the parables, um, first of all, I, I am going to speak out of both sides of my mouth here, but, but deliberately, because I do think that Jesus' use of, of parables uh, did make it easier to understand for the people up to a point. They couldn't understand the, you know, in this specific specific instances that you're you're giving up here is, yeah, without the Holy Spirit, they'll never get to a full saving knowledge. Let, you know that you've heard that term. Let let's say, but what Jesus is doing here, because I've read some commentaries on this um, when you brought it when we brought it up like a month and a half ago on the boards or whatever, but. Um, Jesus is trying to get, he's trying to get these people to probe. He's, he's, it's kind of like a tag, like, I'll give you this much, but you're not getting the final piece of the puzzle. Who, who's going to inquire? Who's going to come up and ask me more? Who's actually interested in finding out of this? And he, okay, but that's, that's just kind of your interpretation. The Bible doesn't actually say that. Jesus doesn't say that's what he's doing. He, he says what he's doing, and what you're doing is correcting Jesus and saying, no, what he's really doing is trying to probe, uh, or get people to probe. No, he wasn't. He it's was, he was acknowledging the fact that those people weren't the right people for the message, and their hearts were never going to be open, and he was pushing them away. The, those, the places that were quoted in that quote is not the only places where Jesus said that sort of thing. Right. This I, is what I, he believed. So I think it's a consistent message, because there are... Uh, other instances where he establishes this mo of trying to get people, you know, stop thinking in terms of the 
your entrenched viewpoints, think about it fresh, or, or he's trying to get them to probe further. You, you, you brought up the that Gentile woman. That, that's what I think he's doing. He's trying to give an objective lesson with something like that. And, and this seems to be his M.O. From okay, when well, I... you're, you're saying that you think that's what he's trying to do. And I'm saying he says directly what he's trying to do. And that's not what he says. So you can you can go with your interpretation of what you think he's trying to do, or you can go with his own plain spoken words of what he's doing. He's he's not unclear about this. I I think that I am reading it. Like okay, so you're saying why why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them because he's given unto because you. you're supposed to know it and they're not. That's his answer. Right, because the. They weren't interested in the truth. No, he didn't say that. He said, you're supposed to know it and they're not. Well, I'm going by the Bible as a whole. This is my reading of Jesus' MO as a whole. But what I'm saying is you don't get to do a reading of Jesus' MO when Jesus answers a question directly. Now, if Jesus never said anything directly about this, then you might have room to say, well, okay, this is, this is what I think he was really doing. But when he answers a question directly, which he seldom does, by the way, he does it a couple of times, then you gotta you gotta take him at his word. This is his word. Now you may not like what he's doing, or you may not can can uh, somehow harmonize what he's doing with what you think you should be doing. But Jesus said what he meant. See, this is this is the problem, though. You you are too. You don't allow for other verses to shed light on what's going on here i think right that's why you want to dismiss this mo thing and you just want to go okay but unto them it is not given to understand so then you're reading into that what that means why why is it no i'm not reading into that i'm just reading that (laughs) i'm reading that (laughs) yeah okay why why is it not given to them to understand why why isn't the holy spirit revealing the truth to these well it it doesn't it's not the people, though, and this is why I did a little bit of helicopter hermeneutics. Uh, I know that you and Joyce will like that. This is why I went over to Paul in First uh, Corinthians and and gave more color on it because uh, one might argue this this teaching started with Paul and then was placed in Jesus' mouth. But um, you know, even say it the other way, they're they're still fairly consistent. Paul suggests that you can't understand not even that you don't want to understand you are incapable of understanding unless you are hearing with the ears of the spirit uh and i asked you a few shows ago i'll ask you again just because i think you'll give me the same answer uh is is faith something that we develop uh from our effort is something that we are given as a gift of the holy spirit now the last time i asked you that you said it was a gift that was given uh do you still think that Yes. I okay. Do. I, so, I if it is a gift that is given, we can't understand Jesus without this gift of the Holy Spirit. That is what Paul says. Would you agree that that's what Paul said in First Corinthians two? Yes. Okay. Um, so, in but, that in that case, what I am trying to suggest is that there is no avenue for someone like me. If you're talking to me, uh, you know, about Christianity, I have no avenue to understand what the heck you're talking about unless I am given the gift. Right. Now, I haven't been given the gift. 
and okay, so why though? Why when does the gift get given? Because the the Holy the Bible is is clear uh, that the Holy Spirit is given to unbelievers as well, uh, in in specific capacities, right? Like Lydia, Lydia's eyes were open. She was an unbeliever. Sure, it's um, it's, it's given as God wills it to be given. I mean, Paul was an unbeliever too. Well, no, I'm not a Calvinist. I wouldn't say it. Well, okay, yes, obviously as God wills. Everything happens according to God's will. Um, but there are, there are reasons rooted in human free will. Okay, as is, this, is this more of your interpretation of things, or are you going to quote some Bible? So, uh, well, obviously the Bible doesn't... <laughs> well, but I've, but uh, I've I quoted Bible, right now, and the I... Bible that I've quoted suggests that I can't get it until God gives it to me. Now, you're going to tell me that I can get it because I've hardened my heart. You're going to have to prove that. Are you saying there are no verses that speak of the hardness of the heart? Or that my job to give those before... verses. I, I've given you verses that but show is... that God is the one that gives understanding. And so if... here's, here's why I get frustrated, right? Because okay. my... The topic of my blog was not about defending specific things like this, right? Like if you you should have you should have wrote about the parables, and then I could have had time to research Bible verses or something to address it. Like I don't know off the top of my head which verse speaks of the role of the Holy Spirit in concerning Judgment Day or concerning that God exists. Well, I, I know that one somewhere in Romans, Romans one to three somewhere. But um, you know, I, my blog was about talking about stuff in general stylistic stuff right so i, I get you know, that you... but i'm i think i'm on topic because what i'm telling you is on because topic. you you want to know how you can you know come across better or what have you yeah. and and you want to get you want to get the message off to people i'm telling you you're you've you're doing a couple of things wrong one is not your message you're not the one who does the converting people right. don't have to understand you um, and people don't have to like you and you're trying to be liked and you're trying to be successful and you're now, just so you know, I gave this speech when I was a Christian because I used to teach uh, personal work evangelism. Were so guys, do you mind if, were you guys a Calvinistic no, church or no, no, we weren't okay. no, okay. but uh, this is, but I taught people this. So I, I just want you to understand, I'm not just making this up to dig at you right. when, when people would go out and they would, you know, how to teach people to to give the good news one of the first things that i would have to try to do is get them out of the way because it's not about you it's it's about the message and you get in and it's not about how you deliver the message because if you think that you can deliver the message perfectly you're you're both naive and arrogant you cannot deliver the message perfectly you're an you're an imperfect vessel you're a human god is using you to say words, but his work is in the hearts and minds of the hearer. So it, it is it is yours Bible. to obey, but it is his to convert. Let, let me let me finish this thought because I'm going to bring up some more Bible. When but Jesus sent, you. okay, it, uh, you can. When Jesus sent his disciples out to teach uh, uh, two by two, and he sent seventy two of them out uh, to do this, his instructions were. Uh, Go to a house, you know, knock on a door. If if your if your spirit comes back, you know, goes out to them and it comes back uh, full, go into their house and stay and teach and eat what they give you and so forth. But if you are rejected, he does not 
tell them to stand there and argue with them. He tells them to walk away, shake the dust off your feet, and go to the next town. Because it was not theirs to do the converting. And, and yeah, th- so this is the thing that I am trying to tell you, Dale. It is not yours to try to do the converting. Okay, so I, I recognize I recognize your point. It's it's a good point, and yeah, I, I was to some degree perhaps getting a little bit wrong-headed. But here, and my pastor teaches this as well. He is Calvinistic, right? So, but are you are you saying that the Bible? doesn't allow for any like why why are we not allowed to swear and stuff like i think that there there's nothing wrong with as an imperfect instrument or vessel wanting to improve um you know or or responding in culturally appropriate ways or something like that or or adapting the gospel message without compromising on the truth um you know like paul, paul himself brings up uh, I don't, it's in First Corinthians, I, I don't know whereabouts, uh, but, you know, I, to the Jews, I became a Jew, to the Greeks, I became a Greek, like, the, there is, there is some biblical precedent for adapting or, or trying to tailor the gospel messages without compromising on the truth of what it says uh, to better reach an audience, right? So, like, you seem to be saying I should just not care about anything and just here it is, you know, take it or leave it. You can't handle it. That's your problem. Um, like, do you, do you recognize that? Well, if you, if you want to be Christ-like, that's what Jesus did. Um, so, yeah, he didn't, he didn't spend a bunch of time trying to change people's minds on stuff like that. Um, but let me, um, because I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm actually, so I'm going off of my, uh, off of, Sorry, away man. from my notes. That's okay. Because I'm trying to, I'm trying to actually deal with you as a Christian would another Christian. <laughs> so I can, yeah. I can tell you as an atheist, your problem is you're, you're teaching batshit crazy stuff. And, uh, and so people, people are going to be put off with that. In fact, my, my last point, which I will make here in a few minutes, um, addresses uh, that a little bit more directly. But I am actually trying to address your question as honestly as you asked it. So, uh, yeah, I think that in the grand scheme of things, you are doing it wrong. I do think that it, uh, I, I think one of the mistakes uh, that evangelicals make, uh, and this is, this is a conclusion that I came to later in my Christian walk, um, is that they think that everything that was said in the Bible is talking to them. Uh, and so, um, are you familiar with the with the movie Holy Moses? Uh, no. Okay, so I think that was the name of it. But uh, it was it was about a guy. It's an old movie. Um, I almost had the name of the actor. Uh, Gene Wilder, I think, uh, was the actor. Uh, and he was following in the path of Moses, uh, and uh, he mistakenly thought that God was talking to him instead of Moses. So he was, he was kind of hanging around. And uh, so he got the order to, to free the people. And you know, the, he, yeah. he's uh, on the, on the mountain and God's saying, take off thy shoes from off thy feet for your own holy ground. God gives ten commandments. Well, he doesn't see Moses around the corner. <laughs> so it's, so it's, a, it's a hilarious romp. But um, the point is that 
uh, he mistakes what's said to Moses as, as if that were being said to him. I think that there's a, uh, a problem with a certain type of Christian who does this too. And so when Paul says, this is what I do as an apostle, people start saying, so this is what we should do, as if we were somehow all Pauline apostles. You are not Paul. Even given the full story that Paul is an apostle sent by God, you're not him. You are Gene Wilder uh, listening to God talking to Moses. Um, That's a good point. So this is is part of the problem here. When Jesus Jesus tells his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he that believes baptized shall be saved, he was talking to 12 people. He was not talking to you. Well, here's here's what I'm getting. This is a good point, actually, that I didn't consider that, you know, because in my speech, I'm saying, well, we we tailor our message for the individual people listening, but it should we should also try to tailor what's consistent with the person giving uh, the thing, you know, what what works. Obviously, I I can attest, you know, I've tried different strategies and they don't don't work for me. They're not natural for me or something like that, or they don't work. So like maybe, okay, well, maybe something worked for Paul, but it's not going to, that doesn't mean it's going to work for me. It, it's, yeah, but why, why do you believe you, to, you should be evangelistic at all? Well, the Bible commands. No, it doesn't. Yes. It, well, no, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> this is what I'm telling you. It, no, it doesn't. So you can, uh, uh, you know, as, as homework, you can, uh, and we can, we can, you're saying uh, that command was just to the apostles. Yeah, or something. We can hash it's it out I, over the blogs. If you can find a place where there's a general command to go out and be evangelistic. I mean, there's, you know, it's one thing to say, be prepared to give an answer to every man for the hope that lies within you. I even don't think that that's a general command. Paul is talking, if I, if I remember this right, he's talking to Timothy, uh, who he's grooming to be a bishop in a church. You're not a bishop. So again, I, I think that you'd have a hard time coming up with the general mandate to go convert everybody. I don't think that was ever the job of everyone who's a Christian. Your your job to be a Christian is to reflect God and his, in his glory in the life that you have. So if you're a shoemaker, be a good shoemaker. You don't have to stop being a shoemaker to be an evangelist. That right. wasn't your call. Oh, is that what you mean? Okay, well, yeah, if you mean that, yeah, of course. Um, you know, not everyone's called to quit their day job and, and go out. But I, I do think that um, it is every Christian's duty to evangelize in Why do you whatever think that? capacity, uh, based because it doesn't even have to be a specific Bible verse. Because I, I think where you're going is well, if I point to this verse, that was specifically to the apostles or something like that, right? But it, right, but I mean, the apostles, Jesus and the apostles said many things that were generic, and and I would uh, argue yes, those things uh, you could maybe generically take, and even a lot of those things, it would be argued well, he was only talking to those people at those times. So, for instance, when Paul tells the Corinthians uh, to, you know, for the Corinthian women to shut up and keep your head covered, you would then argue, well, wait a minute. That's right. That wasn't for everybody. That was just for those people at, the, at that time, and it was very limited. It wasn't even for all Christians throughout the church. It was just those people uh, Corinthian. Now, you would make that argument, but you want to make the that. argument that everybody is supposed to go evangelize. And I don't, I don't think that you can make that case. So here, here's why I, I do that. I, I think we can make that case based on just general logic. I mean, it, 
it's important to save as many souls as salvation is a good thing. It's the ultimate. You don't save souls. Doesn't to be. It's it's our the ultimate goal for us to be used as an instrument so the Holy Spirit can convert people. Right. I I've, I've admitted that. I get that. But, um. Yeah, it's based on this just basic logic. It would be a duty to share your faith and. Well, your basic logic is what's getting you in trouble, though, because if you if you really are suffering from communication problem, it could be that you're not supposed to be communicating. It, it, it could very well be that you have taken on a responsibility that God didn't give you, taken on a calling that God didn't call you for, and you are doing for yourself on your own volition a thing that was reserved for apostles. Um, okay, so, see, I, I, again, I don't think that's true. It's, it's okay for you not to think that, you. but can you show that it's not true? Yes, because I provided that logical argument. But plus, I've provided you with say, Bible. You haven't provided with a Bible that said the Bible verse that says no Christian other than the apostles are allowed to evangelize. Okay, but I have um, I have provided verses where the apostles are where I think you can make it a case where that the, the things are specific to them, and I am I am suggesting from those passages that. Those are not generic commands for all Christians. This is one of the differences between evangelicals and certain other types of Christians. Because other types of Christians, your average Catholic, is not an evangelist. <laughs> they're not. They're not. They're not door knockers. Um, you know, there are a lot of people in the Christian tradition who do not feel that it is uh, the individual calling to evangelize, and I think they are right. That doesn't mean that there that there are no evangelists in their movement, but that is not a general calling for every Christian, any more than it is a general calling for every Christian to be a music director. Yeah, you mean like if you're meaning on like a full time basis, or, or you know, like that's all they do. I can get what you're, I can get behind what you're saying, but I I think that every Christian, no matter what they do, if you're a waiter at a restaurant or if you're, you know, working, I don't know, in construction or something, if, if opportunities arise, you should, you know, try to evangelize and okay. let people well, know. I understand you feel like that, but I, I challenge that notion, even as a Christian, I challenged the notion that it is your job to bring people into the kingdom. Okay. But I, and, and I, so, I've, so, so I far I've never had a Christian to make a good case uh, well, I'll, for the positive and I, look I know that we didn't come prepared to talk about this and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to beat you up on it too much now but I'm, I'm trying to give you from a Christian perspective some of yeah. what's wrong with your presentation you might be taking on responsibilities that you're not supposed to have and you may not be listening to God uh, when he's telling you yeah I didn't send you for this that's not your that's not your specialty that's not what I want you to do now I'm not saying that that's the case uh, but uh, I'm surprised that no other Christian has uh, presented that possibility to you. Uh, yeah, I've, I've never heard that before or whatever. But um, I think I doesn't. The fact is that there is that logical argument that I find persuasive. Also, there's the practice of the early church. I mean, the Christian early Christians. We know that the early Christians did go out and evangelize their their households, for example, or or they would convert and they would slowly grow their home churches. It wasn't Yeah, but we all don't know just... how they grew those churches. 
They, they didn't go and door. We don't have any history of them going door knocking. Uh, so we don't we don't actually know yeah, uh, how those they, churches grew. And and well, growth was pretty form. slow for the first three hundred years. So we don't. Right, the, there's the a lot that not, we don't know. The mode's not important, right? The fact is they were doing. But the mode is important. No, they weren't. No, I, you can't say that they were. They may have just been an attractive group of people that other people glommed onto. It, the Jews don't evangelize, it, but, you know, they're Jewish converts. We don't know how those converts happen. Like I said, Catholics aren't particularly uh, evangelistic, uh, yet they continue to grow. Um, so I don't, I, don't, um, I don't think that you can say that individuals, uh, non-clergied individuals, took on the duty of evangelizing, and that's why the church grew. That's... Uh, that's that's a leap that is not supported by anything that I know of. Okay. All right. I'll, yeah. Um, fine. I'll, I'll look into that then. Cause I don't think that's, that's true. That strikes me as odd, but that could be just cause I've never because heard you grew that. up in a very evangelistic society. I mean, America is a very evangelistic society. We evangelize our football teams. We evangelize, we, you know, sales, door-to-door sales. All of the commercials we watch are are a type of evangelism. We're very pro-evangelistic. And so you think that the way to get people to get on your side is to, you know, get get in a pulpit and preach preach them to Jesus. And so there may be some aspect of that in in people with a professional calling, but I see no evidence that that is what the average Christian was supposed to do. There's there's nothing yeah. there's nothing in scripture that informs me that when I go to a restaurant and I have a waitress that's friendly, that I should bring up Jesus and invite her to church. There's no, there's nothing that informs me of that. Yeah, well, I, I don't... Like I said, I'm going to look into that, but I think that there can be principles. For example, all the Jews, not just the priests or whatever, all Christians are saints. All Christians are priests. The Bible specifically does say that. Um, And taking the nation of Israel, you know, they were to be a light to the Gentiles. That wasn't just talking about the nation as a whole, but every single Jew. Um, Yeah, I'm sorry. Every single Jew didn't just go out to the, the next town and say, hey, have you heard the good news about Judaism? That is that is not how to interpret a nation of priests. Um, no, no, but they they were through living the holy life. That was how they. That yes, was their mode of, of through religion, living right? the holy life, and I would I would say um, that the That's that the, the quote that was that is I think misattributed uh, to Francis of Assisi. Um, uh, I uh, the quote is something like. Uh, I preach daily. I preach continuously, and occasionally use words. Okay. So let me. When I'm thinking about this, last question on this, and then I'll let you move on to your next point. But okay. is there any specific or explicit verse that that you know of that condemns doing what I'm, you know, a common Christian evangelizing or doing what you know, evan- Protestant evangelists do? Um, is there anything specifically that says that's not allowed that you know of? I would say that there's a warning. Uh, there are a couple of warnings in, in Scripture about teaching, uh, that it, it's a grave responsibility and that, that it will be a grave uh, 
penalty if you do, if you do it badly. So I think I could come up with that. Um, so it's 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 not something that should be taken lightly, and that that everyone should uh, feel like they've got to rush off and do. I think I can get that close. But there's also a warning, um, Acts 19. I want to say it's been a long time since I've looked this up, but uh, you might recall a disciple named Apollos. Uh, and Apollos uh, was a dynamic preacher. Oh, he was good. Um, but he did not have the Holy Spirit. He had not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so uh, uh, Paul came across him and stopped his ministry and taught him correctly. And then he sent him on his way as a preacher. And then Apollos began preaching uh, with the authority uh, and permission of Paul. But this would be another example of someone who just took it upon themselves to go preach, and he wasn't doing it right, and he was, and he had to be called to the carpet because it wasn't his job. It was, he was just a self-appointed guy who went off and did it, and uh, he had to be reeled in. So those are those are a couple of things that come to mind. I might could put something together if I wanted to make the uh, make a stronger case. Stop from teaching after the fact no he but was. he was but he he was taught and then commissioned because he clearly had a uh a talent for communication uh and a following so but that said you know he had to he had to be pulled in by a higher authority and and brought under that umbrella of a higher authority and correct teaching this is okay. this is in fact part of the problem when everyone thinks that they're an evangelist. They're not under any authority. They're they're self guided. and They just go out and spout all kinds of things. And then we have, you know, a, a very confused Christianity because everyone on the internet is a preacher now. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's something for me to look in. I, I will admit on that front that I was I've always just sort of assumed that that's the example that every single Christian has a duty to do that. So okay, I'll look into it um yeah i'll look into that issue then okay so uh and for the record i am not saying uh, once again i'm not giving a message from god that dale you're not supposed to be doing this i'm just saying that that's that the fallacy that the thing that i think is a fallacy is you assuming that everyone should be doing it you're you're doing the holy moses um and you're you're standing near the 12 when jesus says go teach the gospel every creature those people had been with Jesus for three years, Dale. They had, they had walked with him. They had been under his tutelage for a long time. Only then did he t did he send them off to go teach. Uh, so there's there's something to be said there. Uh, so because of time, uh, and I I do have a, a lot of other things to say. I would I would say um, I'm just going to skip to my last point, which is uh, if your message is ethically unacceptable. Once again, it does not matter. Uh, you're delivering. So, yeah, there are things that you, your message includes that just seem off the wall. And so you're going to have a hard time communicating with those. But people might be nice to you because we like talking. But when your message is ethically unacceptable, you have hit a brick wall. And you get the pushback that you should get. So... Um, I've just put down a couple examples. I will throw them out as grenades. I'm not uh, going to try to talk about them in long form. But when you support, it doesn't matter if you do these things. Just supporting the idea of these things, such as slavery, 
uh, or uh, genocidal uh, uh, behavior, uh, uh, generational curses, uh, the slaughter of, of innocent women and children, uh, the uh, sacrificial system that requires uh, blood uh, as, as a form of appeasement, uh, homo homophobic tolerance, uh, you know, things like when the Bible says, you know, homosexuals are an abomination and should be put to death. I'd call that pretty homophobic. Uh, misogyny, and we could talk all day about uh, misogyny in the Bible. Uh, the death penalty for non-criminal acts, um, you know, putting adulterers to death, for instance. Uh, when, you, when you are in support of things that we find morally atrocious, it does not help your case to then try to turn the tables and say, well, what do you know about morality? You don't believe in uh, objective morality. We have already stopped listening to you. Okay, that is, that is, that is simply the wrong course of action. And, and Christians should stop doing that altogether. It's a stupid argument. Because honestly, no atheist really has time or uh, desire or inclination to try to argue why slavery is always bad. If you don't know that, you, I don't want to talk to you. Um, and so it, what, I, what I said in my notes is that to defend certain things is equivalent to defending pedophilia. Now, you, I think, would understand if someone were, talk, were, were talking to you and they were a defender of pedophilia, you simply wouldn't care about anything else they had to say. They're, whatever wisdom they have to impart, they're not the person to get it from. And when people hear you, not just you, but all Christians, when people hear Christians saying things that are in support of things that we find morally objectionable, the conversation is over. We may keep talking, but nobody's communicating. Right. Okay. So it's sort of the same. Like I was including this with the offensive content kind of thing, right? But here, okay. So here's what I would hope to do, right? Because I, when I actually sit down and seriously consider whether something's immoral or not, I, I have the three levels. First of all, I think we can discuss the factual nature. What are the facts? For us to consider right and then what are okay the more morally relevant facts and then also what are the moral principles that are at stake which principles are being violated or not um, and then we get to the level of the moral hierarchy because unfortunately in this world we get we get put into positions where we have to choose the lesser of two evils and we can try to go back and forth on that and all I'm doing like the way the way you phrased these things is is not it's not showing understanding it you know defending the institution of slavery when the the heck um gotta go sorry i almost didn't do the leave it to beaver talk there's when the heck did i ever say um you know when the heck did i ever say that i was defending the institution of slavery as good in itself i specifically said i don't it's it's always bad. I even used your language instead of saying morally ideal. I said it's it's always bad because you you know I adopt adopted your language that you're comfortable with, and I do this all the time when people derogatorily say, "Oh, supernatural event, that's magic." I, I use your terminology to be generous, whatever you want to call it. It's 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 a supernatural event, right? But you know the genocidal conduct. The the Bible never supports genocide, and you know it. It wasn't just a racist motivation get rid of all these 
people. It was drive out the Canaanites or something like that. Thoughtless slaughter of innocent people. God put no thought into giving that command. Of course not. So like when I see or homophobic, do you, do you even know what that word means? You're a writer. Do you know what homophobic means? It means you have an irrat phobia is an irrational feel, uh, fear, right? Number one, I'm not afraid of anything. Number two, it's not irrational. I've got a rational basis for saying any sin. I mean, it doesn't have to be this. I understand this is a hot topic, but if I say lying is wrong or premarital sex, guess what? Even heterosexual relationships are wrong. They're a sin, according to the Bible, unless you're married. Um, you know, so like the, there's this sort of, I detect this sort of like biased portrayal in the way it's being phrased. These, these things are being phrased so that, you know, I, I'm defending the slavery of in, the institution of slavery itself. Never, never did I ever say that. It's always bad. It's, you know, I phrase it as not morally ideal. I try to, I'm, I'm coming up with a justification for why it was allowed. That's what, that's what I mean though. When you, when you justify it, that, that is, that is a type of support. So when you when you say well, it's it's um, better than the alternative, and and then you kind of invent an alternative that if it wasn't for slavery, maybe fewer souls would be saved, which is a thing you don't know, but it's just the way you justify it, and so you are in fact saying uh, slavery is a good thing if it means that. Uh, you know, this thing that I have in my mind, salvation, uh, works out. So that that is a defense of slavery. Can I can I just ask a, a quick question though? Because I, I might I don't want to misunderstand you for a second. So just to be clear, are you saying that you object to my Molinistic defeater, the justification, not so much because of the the content of the defeater itself? If that was true, you might be able to get behind it. Uh, but you just don't like how I get there. Like, I'm just, you know, oh, well, souls, I'm just asserting souls, less, more souls would be saved if this was the case. Or is it, or is it both? I, I'm assuming it's going to be both. But like, if, if, if it was true, would that make a difference in how you're evaluating the cost benefit analysis of, you know, which, which, which sin is the lesser of the two evils? Uh, no. Not really, uh, but you know, you call it a defeater. That's pretty prejudicial too. It doesn't defeat anything. Um, well, it's just so, a, a philosophical term. I, I understand, <laughs> but it's it's applied badly here. So you okay. don't you don't at your Molinistic view is not a defeater of anything. Um, so that said, uh, I object to it on the basis that you're just making crap up to defend an atrocious. Uh, Bible, because for you, uh, your first move is if the Bible says it, there must be a good defense for it. So that that's my first objection. But the second objection would be even if it were true and that there were some monster out there we call God uh, who said that slavery is a better alternative than lost souls, God's the one that makes rules for what souls are lost. And so slavery doesn't have to be, uh, you know, in that mix at all. That's does. that. That's God's. That's God's choice, and he could have. He could have made different choices. So, if, if you remember on the show on the atonement, though, that 
my argument is it's not God's choice. This is the necessary. Well, I, I understand now, that, I but I think be. that argument is is once again a kind of a silly argument because you're trying to defend a thing that otherwise can't be defended. So you're okay. you're having so to kind of make up some conditions for it to be okay. But the fact is, if you're talking about an all-powerful God who who set up the the conditions of the universe, everything's his fault. Okay. So, so at, at the, the level, at that level, yeah. So it, it's ultimately it's always going back to the. It, I I think I provide answers or what what are properly called defeaters. That it that is what they're supposed to be called, right? For for your arguments. But then it, it's like okay, but yeah, but if you go back to creation, that's a choice. And and then I'm well, but like, that yeah, is that's... but that is the ultimate go back because you, so if you're if you're not going back to creation, then you're not dealing with the argument honestly. Correct. My my defeater would be would not work at that at that level. I would it, need to come up with a new a new justification for why it which was is good what we've been God. telling you for a long time. No, no, but I but I've understood this the whole time. I I responded to it in in that very hastily, but uh, you know I I've responded to this in detail as to why, and I'm not going to go over it again because people heard it. But I I think it was good. For God to make the choice to create, even though all these bad effects would come would come to pass. But the point I'm trying to get to is, it, it comes back to this is your ultimate objection. I could answer every individual issue, you know, slavery or misogyny or whatever, death penalty for non-criminal acts. I, I could potentially come up with defeaters where you're like, okay, that's equally possible or Val's going to take me to equally Actually, plausible or yeah, whatever. Yeah, absolutely and you couldn't, he, but I I get what you're saying. If, if I did, if I did, then it's always going to, your ultimate objection is, yeah, but God shouldn't have created that in the first place, right? Like that, Which, that's which by the way, is a proper defeater. But um, no, yeah. I, I, I agree. <laughs> um, but I can address, but I have, a, I have a way to address that as well. And I, I've defeated that claim that God shouldn't have created as well okay create it all together that, that's fine but I, th I think once again we're we're stating uh we're we're looking at the reality of a of an atrocious thing and you're just looking at ways to defend atrocious an atrocious thing based on fantasy and the reality so, is slavery and things like it uh like for instance ordering the death penalty for witches is atrocious that's atrocious. It's wrong every time in every society in anyone that thinks it's okay or a good thing is also wrong. It's monstrous and to defend it is wrong and monstrous. So I, yeah, those are, those are, those are the kinds of things though that I'm, I'm saying you can't, you can't defend that. Um, and if you do, you should expect the whirlwind you get when you reap the wind. Uh, I would I would move forward and say that uh, uh, the quote unquote virgin birth, um, which is not really a virgin birth because God had sex with a twelve year old, uh, but the virgin birth is a is a horribly atrocious idea. Now I, we don't know exactly how old Mary is, but I've I've read you know. Uh, ages as low as 12 from Christians speculating on the thing and, and that seems about right <laughs> quite frankly um, for that society God screwing a 12 year old for any reason it, this child cannot give what we would consider uh, 
uh, informed consent on anything, that this would be a part of his plan of salvation is atrocious. Screw that guy. So I'm going <laughs> to, again, uh, yeah, okay, so you, you, were, you were a Christian for 40 years. You, you know better that God didn't, God wasn't some pagan God that had literal sex with Mary. And I, I don't right. want to okay. get distracted on that. But here's, here's, he, like, he, you know, the it, look, he knocked her up somehow. I don't really care whether he did it with a penis. Okay. Uh, that's true. The Holy Spirit overshadowed her and overcame her and she became pregnant. Fine. Um, the point here, the underlying point here, I think is, um, and this is a good one that I actually reached out to Randall Rouser about to get his advice. He hasn't gotten back to me yet, so I don't know what he would say. But it was on one of these type things. It was on our discussion of, of Jesus' racist comment to the Gentile woman calling her a dog. And I'm not going to get too much into it. But your your main, the one point that sort of bothered me is that I, I think you were right in that I was getting into, because of I was getting in defensive mode or defensive sh a shell it, it didn't even occur to me to consider oh well, this is an error um so i i have put thought into that issue specifically and i i've read it and i looked over it i don't think it's an error i, I don't think it's racist it's the exact opposite in this specific case um but in terms of met methodology so with some i have reasons as to why uh I think it's extremely improbable uh, for God to, in his in the Bible, right? It's sufficiently attached. Pretend I've established that, as I th think I did in a previous show. Uh, so this is God's word. Um, we would assume that important things like the moral commandments of how to live a good Christian life or the important theological doctrines very probably have to be preserved. Uh, preserved properly and, and can't be errors. Um, so this is a, a secular argument based on my undue confusion type argument. So then when I come across, uh, you know, something, okay, this is, this is a moral error or something like that, my immediate reaction is, okay, well, that, since Christianity is proven to be probably true, I start with it's innocent until proven guilty. And when you allege here's where it's guilty, I do, for, in the first place, are there any equally plausible options that can explain this? If there is, you haven't established your case, I'm siding with the Bible that, it, that it's good. Now here, here's the new part that I've been considering. Let, let's say you do actually establish something that proves you know, 95.01% or more, according to my moral conscience, that it's wrong. And I'm gonna give you a specific example based on the racist thing. Um, the, there could be, a ver there are verses uh, that speak of slaves in the Old Testament as property. Now, it's going to come down, to, and I haven't looked at looked into this yet on purpose, uh, because I, I want to announce it right now. It's a falsification thing. I, I'm going to look if it means by property in the Hebrew word in the Hebrew context, it's diminishing their value as human beings. Um, you know, in, in the sense that they're subhumans or something. That's immoral. I would claim that verse is an error. Now, I, I suspect the Bible's it's, it doesn't mean property in the sense that we meant black slaves in, in America were property. They were subhumans. Or oh, something. but I'm I don't sorry. know. I haven't. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. I'm, I'm look, I was trying. I, I was trying. I was, I was doing good. 
everyone saw me. You saw me doing. I was. And what, then what I had to. I'm giving you a way to. I understand that. I just need to go back to. So this is a thing you you've triggered a thing, uh, so not entirely your fault, but your fault. I was trying to give you a way to say. I know. Admit this is wrong. I know. I, I know you're in a, in a, in a, here. I am running off in another direction right here toward the end of the show. But uh, honestly, I would get email if I did not stop you there. Okay. Um, so this has to be addressed. Maybe not fully on this show, but. Christians who try to defend the biblical slavery try to make this distinction, and I consider it a false distinction, between Hebrew slavery and black slavery in America. They say, well, you know, this, this Civil War slavery, that's chattel slavery, that's the bad stuff, but the, the stuff in the Bible, that was different. Have you looked up what chattel means? Chattel slavery in this case, it it just means a, a property. Yeah, I minored it's, in it's, law. So, yeah. You you minored in what? I have business law, so yeah. Okay, <laughs> all right. So you so so you, well, did you minor in sixteenth century business law? I mean, I don't know. So, no, I, I didn't. Okay. Not. <laughs> so you know, words words are maybe a little bit different now than they were then, but okay. Um, uh, so. This is a false distinction uh, because the slaves in the Old Testament were clearly property. Now, you say you're going to look up to see if it's the same kind of property. If if it was property in the non-dehumanizing sense of the word, there is no non-dehumanizing sense of the word property. Um, you you are property. Let me, let me, let me just finish this Go thought ahead. because this is this is outrageous. Um, the Bible doesn't just say property; it defines what it means. You can be, you can beat this property uh, to within an inch of its life, and as long as it doesn't die, it's okay. And the Bible says because he's your property, uh, you can will your slaves to your children; they will be your property for life because they are your property. Um, it's you. You don't have to try to find some theological escape route here. It says what it says and is very clear about what it says. If it, it, didn't it is as chattel property, as it comes. Right? If, if it didn't use the word property, then... Like, you're, you're taking the... Human beings could have been... I mean, you, you give this list of people that they thought were human beings and they did bad stuff to them too under that system right so the point that i would say it's an error all human beings are made in the image of god this is a theological doctrine it's an essential doctrine there's another one added to the can list can you own an image um, of god as property it I depends mean, what you mean by property if well if no i and honestly I know, how I'm do saying, you how do you mean it depends it depends on what is is honestly no i'm saying it when it uses, you just said, admitted the word chattel can mean something different today compared to the 16th century. Okay, so but my point is property. it means property. That's something that you and I both know. The Old Testament uses the word property to describe slave ownership on multiple occasions. And, and you know the word that it used for property? It meant property. 
That's exactly what it means. It means what it sounds like it means. Okay. Well, do you have any links you can share things? I, that's, that's yeah. Open I, your I, Bible. Yeah, and let them hit let it hit you in the face. I'm telling you there's do you have any links that suggest that property means anything else? Actually, I might, but I told you I did I purposely didn't research it yet okay. because I don't know what I'm going to conclude. Uh, I might come back and say you're right. I I'm putting myself out there to I get, see am I, get I consistent. That. I get that. <laughs> but the the very the very idea that you are still trying to hang on to the notion that there is a distinction between the property slavery of the Civil War and the property slavery of the Hebrews tells me that either you don't understand the Civil War or you don't understand the Bible. Because the, the fact is the Bible is very explicit. It is not unclear. It is, it is not vague in, in what it's saying. It's clear many times. And, and so... Um, yeah, this, this will be one of these occasions when I would say, if you're looking for, you know, an out here, yeah, I don't, I don't uh, understand. I don't understand how you're reading. Well, I'm looking for how did the guy, when he wrote the word that we translate as property, what did that, that could mean for the people in the text that were actually. Okay, tell me, give me an example of what property could mean otherwise. I don't know. The only thing I can think of, maybe it's a Hebrew idiom. That means okay. Well, they're under your household, under your control, just like the. Well, let me let me tell you why you can't you can't go there, and the, and I can okay. save you a ton of research. Uh, the uh, one oh, of the main I, passages for slavery uh, makes a clear distinction. It's it's a back to back distinction, and it says how to treat Jewish slaves and how to treat uh, foreign slaves. Okay. And that it, first it, part it, it says you, those Jewish slaves you don't actually treat them like slaves. You treat them like employees. And, and, it, and it talks about that. And then after a certain period of employment, you let them go. You don't treat them ruthlessly. As for those foreign slaves, you can, in fact, treat ruthlessly. You do not have to let them go, and they are your property. It makes that distinction as clear as what I just said it. Yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. It does distinguish the treatment of Jewish slaves versus Gentile slaves, and the Gentile, or the the pagan nation slaves or whatever the non-converted gentiles so yep i absolutely recognize that difference and it's the gentile slavery to which this property thing applies uh yeah uh, so i'm i'm putting myself out there i'm gonna look it up if it means what david says it means and it it means what we all think when we read property it's diminishing their value as human beings or image bearers of god okay, that, that verse is an error. It, it shouldn't have used that word. So, you know, here's a way to, to test if I'm a hypocrite or consistent or not, right? We'll see what I come up with. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> look, we've gone over time again. I, I looked at my clock a little bit ago, and I said, ah, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. And then, and then we didn't make it. Now, uh, with my notes, Christians have a communication problem. One, because their source material is um, is uh, confusing. Uh, that would be the Bible. I didn't make that point while I was here, but I could have. Uh, because it is intentionally unclear, uh, and so I think that Christians have a hard time communicating something that was originally taught as unclear. 
Uh, Christians have a hard time communicating because it is ethically, uh, much of it is ethically unacceptable. And when we run in those uh, ethically unacceptable brick walls, there's just no getting past it. Uh, and because Christians refuse to distance themselves from uh, others in the community that are that are harming their cause. So that's that's kind of my take on why Christians do and will forever, actually, have a hard time communicating with unbelievers. Okay, very good. That's yeah, your time. You get the last word because I want to listen. So, all right, cool. Thank you very much. Have, have a great week, everybody. And uh, a great week for me, too. Bye.